So today we carry on our series, The Bank of Heaven. And um, this morning's sermon is called Generating a Generous Heart. Because generosity is at the heart of the Christian faith. But sometimes generosity is a difficult thing for us to show. Sometimes we don't want to be generous. Sometimes um, we look at our own situation and say, well, I can't afford to be generous. And we, we have a habit, don't we, of putting up obstacles to justify a lack of generosity sometimes. Now, this is not a comment on this church or anyone here. or This is simply an observation that it's important that we remind ourselves of what, what Jesus taught about generosity. Now, the past couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about money. But when we come to the subject of generosity, we would be limiting ourselves quite severely if we only spoke about money. Because we can be generous in so many different ways. And it's important. It's important that we are generous, not just because we come to church and we know that the hallmark of a, of a Christian should include generosity, but you remember a few weeks ago I spoke about um, uh, Norwich Science Week and how they'd been, we'd gone to a, demo, a, a talk about light and all the different properties of light and how they came to the conclusion that, that all energy, every, all life in the, in, the, um, in the universe, well on earth, um, uh, it has to come back to the source of light, the sun, one source of light. And I was sitting there thinking, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree. I agree. That's why the first words that God speaks in the Bible are, let there be light. That was the beginning of creation. And I came across something else this week, which, which again shows um, science kind of um, uh, tying in with what we learn in the Bible. You see, God is a God of generosity. And... I came across some research this week, research from um, professors Philip Tobler and Ernst Fuhr, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, from the Department of Economics at the University of Zurich, this is in 2017. And what they did, they did a study where they took a, um, a sample group of people and they sent, um, they, they gave them each, um, I think it's about 40 people, they split them into two groups, and they were all given a sum of money, just gifted a sum of money. It doesn't say how much, but... One group were encouraged to, um, to go and spend the money, have a good time, enjoy it, make the most of it, it's freebie. The other group were encouraged to go and to, to give and to share. Um, and what they found, what they found was that all participants who had performed or had been willing to perform an act of generosity, no matter how small or how big, felt happier in themselves at the end of the experiment. Now, that was their, their, their verbal feedback. I felt better having, having been generous. But it wasn't just that. Um, the more they, they researched, they did MRI scans on these people and monitored brain activity and things like that. And um, there's a quote here that I'm going to read out. It says, Happiness has been linked to an activation of the ventral striatum. I mean, who doesn't enjoy an activation of the ventral striatum, eh? <laughs> Which has been shown to play a role in the brain's reward system, giving us that feeling of satisfaction when we perform a pleasant activity. So, so we are created, we are designed to be generous, to give. 
It triggers in us a positive response, a feel-good factor. We know that we are doing a good thing, a right thing, when we give. And so again, the more that, the more that science researches and investigates the, the makeup and, and the way that we're created, the more we see that actually Jesus' teaching speaks straight in to our created being. The two tie up together. Now, there are many places in Scripture that we could go this morning to talk about generosity. There are many, many stories that would, that would jump out. Um, I just wonder if, when I say the word generosity and ask for a biblical passage that speaks about generosity, can one or two people just, just shout out a couple of ideas? Lord loves a cheerful giver, giver. yep, yeah, that could be one. Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Very good. Well, we'll stop there, because actually the Good Samaritan is the one that we're going to go with. Um, But there are others, there are others. We've got Zacchaeus. We've got the story of Zacchaeus up the tree. We've got the parable of the great feast as well. And family. Sorry, say that again. God's provision, Yes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, very good. Yep. The story of Cornelius. Yes. We have, have we got one more? Yes, okay. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many different examples of... Um, of generosity in scripture and teaching about generosity. But without any further ado, we're going to read through a passage which hopefully will be familiar to many people. Um, But if it's not, it's found, if you've got, um, you see a Bible in front of you, if you've got a Bible with you, it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And we're going to be starting from verse 25. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So just to put some context around this, Jesus Um, Jesus at this point was viewed by many people as a rabbi, a teacher. And it wasn't unusual for um, people to publicly question a rabbi. It's a bit like going to a political rally and saying to the the, the potential political candidate, what's your uh, policy, what's your your foreign policy, or what's your your view on economic policy, or something like that. And it it gave the, um, the, the teacher an opportunity to share and to share some of their understanding of God's law. And so we read here in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this is a passage which is, as I say, probably familiar to, to many of us. Um, and for some people, it might not be the first one that springs to mind when we're talking about generosity. But this is, a, this is one of those passages that it's very easy for us to patronize. It's very easy for us to sort of turn into a, a Sunday school story and not develop it into anything deeper. Because actually, this story, Jesus was taking a massive risk Simply by taking the, um, the, 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 the Samaritan, speaking, speaking to his followers, the people he was teaching, speaking about a Samaritan, Samaria was an enemy of Israel. The Samaritans and the Jews were not, they, were, they did not get on. This was a bit like at the height of the troubles in Northern Ireland, speaking to a bunch of Protestants and choosing the Catholic as the good guy in the story. There's, um, I um, uh, recently went into, went into a local school and um, uh, was talking about this, this parable. And before I went in, I went and consulted Nikki, who is the oracle of all things children-related. And um, she said, oh, if you're telling that story, she said, I've got some props. I said, oh, great. And... <laughs> She sent me into this school in the heart of Norwich. She said, right, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is an Ipswich fan. The, the priest and the Levi, they're Norwich fans. And so I went in, and I, 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 as soon as I pulled out this Ipswich scarf, most of the kids in the class, boo, get out, don't like that. And I, I said, right, who's going to come and wear it? And they were outraged when the Ipswich fan was the good guy in the story. They were waiting for a story where they could all, all sort of, you know, have a, start slating Ipswich. But that's trivial compared to this. Some commentators have even suggested that this is not a parable. This was Jesus referring to an event that had actually happened recently because they said it was such an extreme example. It would have incited so much, um, such powerful emotions that Jesus would have been putting himself at severe personal risk to even suggest that the Samaritan was the one to whom we should look for a godly example whether it's a parable, whether it was a reference to a current event of the day, is irrelevant. What we know is that Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor? And this is important for us to grasp. Because when we're faced with this similar sort of situation today, we need to be absolutely clear 
who our neighbor is. Jesus teaches about about this man. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we don't know what he was doing in Jerusalem. Maybe he was at the temple, maybe he was at the market, but he's traveling down to Jericho. And he gets attacked. It was a dangerous road. It was a notorious um, spot for all sorts of um, trouble. And so it wouldn't have been unusual. It's a bit, a bit like walking down Prince of Wales Street on a Friday night. And the man is attacked. And he's left there. We're told he's left half dead. He is stripped of his clothes. He's, his money is taken from him. He's left in a terrible state. A Levite walks past and a priest walks past. Some suggest that they wouldn't have wanted to go and touch in case it was a dead body. They wouldn't want to defile themselves. But we know it wasn't, the man wasn't dead. The man was desperate. These two men both walk past. And then comes the Samaritan. Now when we use the word Samaritan today, we think of the Samaritans. The word Samaritan has very, very positive connotations. It's a good thing. These are charitable people. This is... um, this is a word that we, if someone is a good Samaritan, then we know it to be a good thing. We know them to be a generous, kind-hearted person. And this man shows outstanding generosity. This man recognizes his neighbor. You see, this man, out of the three, had, he, he was the one you would expect to be the one to walk past and ignore the guy on the road. He would have seen an enemy. He would have seen someone of a different race, a different culture, someone who, who socially he'd always been taught, you don't mix with them. But he sees his neighbor. He sees someone in need. He goes to him. He takes pity on him. He bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine, wine to disinfect the wound, oil to soothe the pain. Then he puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, and personally takes care of him. The next day, he takes out two denarii, it's two days' wages, and gives them to the innkeeper, saying, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. This is an outstanding act of generosity. Jesus tells this story because he wants to make it absolutely clear who our neighbor is. At the end of this story, when Jesus challenges the man who asked the question, he says, who of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And I wonder what the expert in the law felt. I wonder what his response was. Because he had asked the question to justify himself, we're told. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to hear an answer that suited his purposes. He wanted to be told, well, your neighbor is um, people from your town, or from your tribe, or from your country, or from your family, or from your temple. Your neighbor is the people that you're comfortable in being generous with. People who you know that they'll remember it, and they might do you a good turn. People who you, you, you know that they're, they're, good, they're good people. They share the same beliefs as me. I want to I help them. He wants to justify that inclination. 
And so at the end of this passage, when Jesus says, who do you think was the neighbor? He's been forced into a, into a corner. He's got no other answer he can possibly give than, than acknowledging that actually the neighbor was the Samaritan, was this enemy. This was a real challenge. This was a real challenge to the expert in the law. Especially when Jesus then gives him an action point. I don't know about you, but when I go into a meeting, I try and avoid action points. I try and make sure that everyone else takes the action points and I come away with as few as possible. This guy did not expect an action point from, from this meeting with Jesus. He was expecting to have, have, have caught Jesus out on semantics to trap him on the, the one word. We love doing that with politicians and people, don't we? When they, 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 they say something and someone says, ah, oh, but when you say this word, what do you mean? Give me a definition so I can pin you down so that you're limiting that and I can then go in for the kill. But instead, Jesus completely turns the situation around and says, look, you've, you've just told me who, who the neighbor is in this story. Now you go and be that person. You go and show love to your enemies. You go and show kindness and care to those in need, regardless of, of where they come from, of who they are. We're just going to pause here. And on this side of the room, I've got a question. If you can just talk amongst yourselves for a minute and just explore the question. In the passage of the Good Samaritan, how was love demonstrated? Okay, it's not a, not a difficult question, but it's a question that we need to just, just get it straight in our minds. How is love demonstrated? Because don't forget, this whole passage comes from Jesus, when he's asked... When he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what's being discussed here is love. So how is love demonstrated in this passage? And then this side of the room, and balcony, I'll allow you to sort of split yourselves accordingly. This side of the room, how do you think the expert in the law felt in the wake of his conversation with Jesus? Often we talk about Jesus as a sort of a, a nice, soft, cuddly Jesus. A Jesus who would say, oh, come on, it's okay. But actually, how did he feel after this conversation with, with Jesus? What was his response? So just take a minute, talk amongst yourselves, discuss those questions. And then we'll move on.
Okay. <clears throat> just before we go on, I'm just going to stop and pray because, as many of you may have noticed, we've just had paramedics come in and um, uh, Roy was taken ill. Um, so uh, he's just been taken out and um, hopefully it was just an excuse to get out of listening to my preaching this week and that he'll be fine. But let's just let's pray for him and his family right now. Um, Father God, we don't know um, what's, what's, what's happened, but um, Lord, we know that Roy's been taken ill. And so we pray, Lord, that whatever happens with him, you will be with him, with his family, that you will, your healing work will happen upon him and that, uh, um, that the paramedics will will do what needs to be done, that you will bless the whole situation, the whole process, that you will hold Roy close to you and that his, his family as well will know your presence, um, whatever the situation is right now. But Father God, we just pray for your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Apologies if I was slightly distracted for the first half of the sermon now. Um, but let's get, let's get back then. So, so... Would anybody just like to share a couple of thoughts? How was love demonstrated in, in the story of the Good Samaritan? It had to be the person furthest away, didn't it? <laughs> Don't worry, I'll come to you, my family. Well, just because, um, not because, it was demonstrated in action and doing what needed to be done. It wasn't touchy-feely or a lovely fluffy feeling. It was, yeah action. Yes. Okay. Love in action. Needed. Oh, and um, you know, um, love your neighbor as yourself. The Shema Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and love your neighbor as yourself. And he'd have been going by that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great. So Love wasn't just something that was spoken about. Love was, um, it was demonstrated. Any more thoughts? It was ongoing, so it wasn't just a one-off, see you later, but he was coming back, and, um, and it was an ongoing commitment and sacrificial thing. Excellent. Yes, absolutely. So we see love, yeah, not just as, as the one-off um, immediate um, expression, but there's the, the commitment to come back the next day, there's commitment to the innkeeper as well as to the injured man. Absolutely. Okay, brilliant. So over on the other side then, what did we think about the response? How would the expert in the law have felt, do we think, after that conversation with Jesus? He felt guilty. Guilty? Interesting, yeah. Um, I think it's very uncomfortable. It's telling him to do something he, he, he wouldn't normally, you know, go out of his comfort zone to, to connect with people he wouldn't normally connect with, people he would hate or, you know, and he'd never socially speak with. Yeah. So very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes, out of his comfort zone. So we were thinking positive, potentially humiliated. No experts like being contradicted at Ooh. all. Oh, very true, yes. Yeah. Alan, last one. What? Me change? I'm right and he's wrong. Prejudice. prejudice overcoming prejudice is that he'd had for all these years. 
Yeah, absolutely. That would have been a, it would have been a real challenge. It wouldn't have been a, a comfortable conversation to have. Absolutely. Okay, so we can see perhaps that, that firstly, um, the, the, the conversation with Jesus, we have to be careful what we wish for, don't we? Because um, this man had this, this intimate moment with Jesus where he asked him a question and the answer that he wanted wasn't forthcoming. Instead, he got a, an answer that, that would have maybe humiliated him, maybe upset him, maybe offended him. But what everybody saw in that story was, was a love in action, love in action and love ongoing, a relationship developing. And it all came out of, of a generous heart. I was thinking, how do we see generosity in this passage? What, what, what does it actually look like? Well, first of all, time. The Samaritan gives time to the injured man. So often we, we talk about being busy, don't we? We talk about busyness. Oh, I can't come to this, I can't do this, I can't give this, I can't help this because I'm just so busy. I wonder how many of you have had conversations this morning where someone said, how's your week been? You've said, busy. Eugene Peterson, um, the American pastor and author, um, he said the biggest slur anyone can ever put upon the, pa- the pastor of their church is to say he or she is busy. A pastor should never be busy. And I found it really difficult. In my, in my, my previous life, it was um, my previous job, I should say. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole different conversation. Um, in my, in my previous job, um, being busy was very much the thing to be. If someone asked you, you made sure you told them you were busy, even if you, you had nothing to do, even if, if, if you're going through a very um, unbusy patch, you always said you were busy. And when I started in ministry, I was exactly the same. Morning, Tom, how, how's the week been? Oh, really good, but busy. And then I read that quote from Eugene Peterson, and I thought, oh, what message does that send out to people? That says I've not got time for you. That makes people think, well, oh, well, I better not ring him, I better not email, I better not take up any more of his time because he's already busy. Time is at a premium. And we shouldn't give that impression to people, as, not just as a minister, but as Christians in general. We should have time to share with people, to speak with people, time to show that love to people. Because at the heart of the act of the Good Samaritan, there is love, but if he didn't give time, then he wouldn't have had time to express that love. I'm sure we've all been guilty sometimes of thinking, rather than go and spend the time with that person, I'm just going to make my way, and I'll pray for them as I'm going. It's all right, I'll I'll have a chat with God. And that person, I'm not saying I won't benefit from the prayer, of course we all benefit from prayer, but we also benefit from, from having that time. Someone saying, my expression of love to you is giving you this time. It's important. The Samaritan uses, he would have used probably strips of his own clothing to make bandages, to bandage up the man's wounds. He used his own wine to pour on the wounds, to clean them. He used his own oil to soothe the wounds. He used his own donkey to transport the man. He used his own money to pay for the care. He rearranged his own priorities to be able to commit to coming back the next day 
He put aside his fear of attack. He's a fear that his fear that, well, this guy's been attacked and if I'm staying with him, I'm, what's to say I'm not next? He put aside all of these things. He didn't, he didn't allow any of those things to be, uh, to be the barrier that stopped him showing that love. He didn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, mate, I'm too busy, and move on. He didn't say, I'm, I'm not ripping, I've just bought this cloak, I'm not ripping that up. He didn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm not using my wine and my oil because they're expensive commodities. I've just topped them up in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm on my way home now. I can't spare any money. I want to ride the donkey. He didn't do any of this. He certainly didn't say to the bloke, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to help you, but I'll chuck you on a plane to Rwanda so you can go and be someone else's problem. He put aside his own interests because he recognized who his neighbor was. Jesus teaches us who our neighbor is in this story. And Jesus teaches that our neighbor is anybody that we come across who has a need, a need that we can help with. Now, I know that some people have needs in the world which are way beyond uh, solutions that we can offer. But collectively, we have a responsibility, a responsibility that Jesus gave us to share the love of the gospel with those that we meet, to do our best to address needs as and when we can, not to leave someone laying in the gutter, given up on, ignored, passed on. That's not love. Love is doing all we can, all we truly can. Now sometimes we might say, well, I, I can't afford to help. Okay? But we are in this country, which means that we're in a richer position than about 95% of the rest of the world. We might not feel rich. There's always someone else who's, who's got a few more quid than we have. There's always a billionaire somewhere on a massive yacht, and we can think, well, that's rich. But there are people in the world who would look at you and I standing here today and say, oh, that's rich. We've got um, the Director General of the Baptist Missionary Society coming to speak here at NCBC um, in, in uh, May, or May, I think. Was it May or June? I'm looking... June, sorry. Oh, there's Rob. Um, in June. And he's a fascinating guy, and he's been to all corners of the world, and uh, just a word of advice, when, when he comes and when we're having conversations with him, don't talk about being poor and being rich. Because in that sort of role, he's seen poverty that we cannot even begin to imagine. And he goes around churches trying to encourage Baptist churches to give in to that fund so that that fund can continue the work it does, the wonderful work it does in different corners of the world. But one of the things I've found whenever I've heard this guy speak is that I come away with a renewed, refreshed appreciation of the blessings that God's given me. And I pray that we all have that same feeling when we hear him speak in June this year. 
we can all be a good Samaritan. We can all be a good neighbor, a truly good neighbor in the model that Jesus intended. You see, Jesus teaches in this story about our role and our responsibility to those who are less fortunate than us. And it is a teaching that encourages us to get alongside them, to provide as best we can, to be generous-hearted. Even if we cannot afford to give, give much money, we can afford to give time, we can afford to rejig our priorities, we can afford to show love to people. When Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through the city, Jesus' priorities were suddenly changed because there was a, a tax collector, an outcast, someone who no one wanted to spend time with because he was a thief, he was a crook, a little bloke called Zacchaeus. And as Jesus walked into the city, this guy had heard he was coming and his curiosity was, was piqued. And so he went running along and he climbed a tree and Jesus sees him and he says, hey, come down, let's spend some time together. That would have been a shocking thing. People, what's Jesus? Jesus, we've heard about him. He does all this good stuff. And he's spending time with that bloke. But we don't know what happened in the house of Zacchaeus as they shared a meal, the two of them. But what we do know is that having spent a little bit of time in the company of Jesus, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. And suddenly he came out and he, he, he pledged. He pledged to give back to people. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount, he said. And Jesus' response, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man came to to, to find these situations and to give time and to, to give his heart. To share with, with people like Zacchaeus. To share with the, the people like the, the, the man who was beaten and, and shunned and left for dead. Jesus leaves no one for dead. Jesus shuns no one. His heart is for the lost. And the world is full of the lost. You and I will see the lost this week as we go out into the world. They might not be lying in a gutter, battered and bleeding. But let's not wait for it to get to that stage. Let's make sure that the people that we see around us, we are the ones that look out for them, that show love to them. Jesus, through his presence with Zacchaeus, he prompts a response. And that response is is a generous spirit. Is a generous spirit. Because Jesus, Jesus comes from a generous father. And later on, sorry, earlier on in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus taught a parable about a banquet. A banquet where, where people were invited, invitations were given out, it was going to be a huge feast. What an invitation, you don't have to pay for tickets, this is a free invitation. And there'd been a safer day card go out, and then finally, finally the formal invitation goes and a messenger is sent. And Jesus gives us a warning, because the first recipient of the invitation. His response isn't, oh, fantastic, great, I'll just go and get my, get my dinner jacket out of the cupboard, I'm there. 
No. He gets this invitation from Jesus and he says, a bit inconvenient actually, um, I've just bought a field, I've got to go and, go and see it. In other words, I've got somewhere else I'd rather be. The next, next guy, they knock on the door. What, tonight? Oh, it's not tonight, um, I, I, can't, I can't come, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go and check them out. I want to go ploughing early in the morning, I'm, I've not got time for partying. Tell Jesus, I don't want his invitation. In other words, I've got somewhere else I'd rather go, something else I'd rather do. And then, finally, the third knock on the door. The guy says, I've just got married. (laughs) I'd better stay at home. I've got somewhere else I'd rather be. And I've got someone else I'd rather be with. You see, we've got a generous God. We spoke earlier about God's provision. We have got a generous God who loves to bless us, who loves to share with us, who loves to to lavish gifts upon us. But if we are selfish in our hearts, if we don't reflect the character of God in our own lives, then God says, well, I've given a little and you're keeping a little. But I've had so many conversations this week as I've been talking about this subject where people have told me anecdotes of of when they've, they've they've given a gift, they've sacrificially given to somebody. Sometimes they've done it anonymously, sometimes they've done it um, directly, and they've given. And they've thought, well, that's going to mean that this month I can't, I, I can't go away for that weekend, or, or, or I'll have to cancel that meal, but it's okay. It's okay, so I'm being sacrificial, I'm giving. It's not a hardship. But what they've then found is that somehow a blessing's come in. It might have been through an unexpected tax refund or something. I mean, then you believe in miracles, don't you? But... It might have been through something like that, or it might have been through an anonymous gift received themselves, or it might have been through some good news, but they've, they've had a blessing. And they found the more that they've, they've sacrificially given, the more blessing God's been able to give to them. And it's been this wonderful experience of, of God working through them and blessing them as they've blessed others. But you see, if we, if we say, thanks very much, God, but I'm all right, I'm, I'm earning a decent salary, I've got a bonus coming, I'm, I've got the house, I've got the car, I've got, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Then God says, okay, well, I um, guess I'll have to give the seat at the table to someone else. You see, Jesus gives us a warning that if we don't reflect his teachings in our lives, he'll move on to someone else. He'll never shut the door and give up on us but our relationship with him will be damaged. I just want to finish up with just two more verses. The first one comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus is talking about himself. He says that he's talking about the purpose of him being on earth. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to give. And then, of course, finally, finally, we see the heart of God. We see the the heart of God opened up for everyone to see. In John 16, for God so loved the world that he gave.
let's not go away from today's service feeling guilty. None of us get it right all the time. But I wonder if maybe we can go away thinking about the teaching of the story of the Good Samaritan, thinking about Zacchaeus, thinking about the great banquet, thinking about the purpose of Jesus being sent to the earth, and then thinking about our own lives and ways in which we can cultivate a spirit of generosity within ourselves, within our our children and our grandchildren, our neighbours and our friends, encouraging a spirit of generosity. Because I bet you that when that man recovered from his wounds and left the inn and went home, he said to his family, you'll never guess what happened. And he told them about the attack and they would have been all concerned and he would have said, no, 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 you're missing the point. I'm alive now because of Samaritan, the enemy. Do you know what? They're no enemy. His love saved my life. The troubles between the Israelis and the Samaritans, or the Palestinians as we now know them, they still rage today. It's nothing new. Jesus was trying to build bridges in the most complex of conflicts 2,000 years ago. Jesus saw that as his mission, to build those bridges, to encourage us to love our neighbor by building those bridges. So let's just spend some time allowing ourselves to be challenged in how we can follow that example that Jesus taught. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we worship a generous-hearted God. Lord, we thank you that when you sent Jesus into the world, it was the ultimate act of generosity. And Father God, we, we thank you that Jesus taught us so much about what it means to live a life that reflects your character. And Lord, as we strive to do that, we thank you that when we have those moments where we stumble, where we allow selfishness or self-interest to cloud our judgment, Lord, we thank you that we can always turn to you for forgiveness. And we can always turn to your word for direction. Father, as we go about our lives this week, give us opportunity, we pray. Opportunity to reach out to anyone that we meet who is in need. Opportunity to share time and resources with them. Opportunity to show love and opportunity to develop relationships. Father, help us as we do our best 
to be Jesus to those that we meet and to live the life that you've set before us. Thank you for the privilege of being your children and thank you for the relationship that we have with you. Father God, you are an awesome God. May you bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask